Hello, and welcome to a roundtable discussion on the Topic of Page podcast. My name is John Mayo. In this episode, I'm joined by guests for a lively conversation on a topic we hope you'll find interesting. In this roundtable discussion, I am joined by my sister Kay. We're going to have a spoiler-filled review of the Deadpool movie. We have it on Blu-ray. We've just finished watching that. It is an R-rated film. This will be a all-ages review of it. Not to say we suggest all people watch it. We don't. It's R-rated. Now, it came out Valentine's Day 2016. Yes. Okay. This is one that we just had enough going on. Uh, We didn't make it to the theaters. And it was one that I knew was going to be a little... Frankly, harder core. It's not a Valentine's movie. Let's start there. I mean, it does. You, know, it, it, it thinks it's a superhero <laughs> film, a love film, and a horror film, and it is. Yes, I was going to say it. It does have, in some respects, a a love story. I'll I'll grant it that. In some respects, I would say that's the main arc of the film. Yeah, but I would not call it a Valentine's movie by any stretch. No, no, it uh, has a lot of blatant violence. Well, and I'll even go so far as a friend of ours who uh, is very much into this kind of violence graphic movie in terms of we saw body parts. Oh, yeah. There are decapitations, body parts getting lopped off. I mean, some yeah. of it was kind of gross. That having been said, it was not as hardcore on the violence as I felt, say, the Daredevil TV uh, Netflix show was. There um, were a couple of times there. It's like, that's just brutal well and there were times there where i felt it was gratuitous for the sake of being gratuitous where here it it at least made sense as part of the scene and part of the i'm gonna say anger management issues the character had it was a realistic portrayal of almost cartoon violence yeah and they weren't trying to make it overly gory i mean there's there's blood there's stuff it's it was not the sort of thing I normally watch, but I'd heard good things about it, and it was clear from the opening. They understood the character, mm. they had the tone and the style down pat. I mean, to me, it was clear from the trailers this was going to be a good film. Well, but even our friend who gravitates towards the war movies and that kind of thing, when I jokingly said, but it's not a Valentine's movie, he flat out asked me, why would you think it is? Because that's when it opened. And when I made that comment, he just stopped for a moment. He's like, I totally forgot that when I was recommending it to you. I know it's not a Valentine's. And I just thought that was funny that he hadn't put mm-hmm. those two together. The character had shown up in, I think it was Wolverine Origins, but this was a new origin for the character. Interesting. But I mean, hey, they've rebooted the X-Men timeline to a degree with the Days of Future Past, so fine, we'll let that slide. I'd kind of forgotten he was there. Now that you mention it, I have a vague recollection, but I'd forgotten. And I thought this movie really, it was quintessential Deadpool. It had the sense of humor, it had the breaking of the fourth wall, it had the, uh, just kind of the insanity of the character. Would I would give the sense of humor top marks. For probably for all of the uh, comic book movies we've seen in the past few years, 
this one to me just had some of those unexpected and right from the opening credits. Well, again, when the opening credits of, you know, we're going to the way they're instead of doing the the names of the characters. It flout said a CGI character, a British villain. Yeah. I mean, you that, know, the writers, the real heroes of the story kind of a deal. Yeah. That had me laughing my head off. They set the tone and the style from the beginning. I loved how the whole opening credits or opening scene or whatever was like a freeze frame 3D kind of a deal that we're floating through of this action moment that they build up to. Yeah. And at first you're like, okay, I'm not sure what I'm seeing or what's this, what's going on. But then when you get it, it, it's like, okay, suddenly this all makes Mm. sense. And they took a fairly involved action sequence and you know having already seen that freeze frame that they linger over for a good couple of minutes yeah it was some incredible payoff on the action well that freeze frame that you're moving around it's a work of art the way they go through it well and they did some stuff on the action sequences here in a few places that was just top notch and not just from a they did good action but it was clear this was part of the story. Yes. I've only got 12 bullets. Let's count them down. <laughs> and as the bullets are going, you see the shell, and the shell has the number. This is 12, <laughs> this is 11, you know. Yes. Yes. Well, and when he gets angry and wastes two shots, he acknowledges he's wasting two shots, and we see those shell casings mm-hmm. too, but it's that was worth it. But that's the character I'm reading in the comics. And I've been reading Deadpool since he was created. Well, some of the things they did, they did flat out blatant and obvious, which I appreciate. Don't get Mm -hmm. me wrong. But some of the things they did were subtle and easy to miss. Like, towards the end, we have major fight sequence going on. And help me out with Silver Guy's character name. Colossus. Colossus. He now has two unconscious women. One's a bad guy. Mm -hmm. One's a good guy. And he carries both of them out when he realizes that the ship is crashing down. But instead of leaving the bad guy to die, which he could have, he rescues both his partner and the bad guy and carries them out. But it's something subtle you have to look for in the corner of the screen and have it catch your eye and see. And then a little bit later, like maybe a minute later, if that, he's coming, walking into this shot saying four or five moments. I liked the kind of motivational speech Colossus was trying to give Deadpool. Yes. With the, it only takes, you know, a few moments to become a hero. It's not a, you know, a 24-7 thing. And he doesn't say, do as I just did Mm -hmm. and save the bad guy as I just did, Angel. Well, he's, Colossus has been trying to to recruit uh, Deadpool for the X-Men for apparently quite some time in this universe and knows the guy is messed up. But it's like there's a good heart in there yeah. kind of sentiment. Um, to me, it really uh, has a lot of potential of bringing the Deadpool character into the X-Men fold proper and stuff in future films or having more X-Men show up in another Deadpool film. The way this script came across to me, Deadpool could be superhero X-Men, etc., quality, worthy except where Francis slash Ajax is concerned. The person who destroyed his life, the person who did this to him, is the exception to the I can forgive and forget rule. Well, he started out, uh, the Deadpool character in the comics is very much a mercenary and whatnot. And 
has, right now is a member of the Avengers. Interesting. Now, obviously can't be in the films because this is the X-Men franchise versus the Marvel Universe franchise, different studios, mm-hmm. etc. cetera. Mm-hmm. Although they're starting to play a little nicer. And there were a few places in this film where they, they kind of leaned over the edge of maybe what they could do. It wasn't labeled a helicarrier, but it sure looked like one. It did, to the point I asked you, what am I seeing? And the one guy he recognized of the bad guys, hey, Bob. Yeah. One of Deadpool's sidekicks in the comics was this guy, Bob, who was a Hydra agent, then an AIM agent, and so forth. Oh, how funny. And he was more or less just ruining the guy's life. But it was one of those situations. So uh-huh. they they had a character named Bob. Okay, fine. Mm-hmm. There are lots of Bobs out there. Mm-hmm. But it's supposed to be the one, but since he's a member of Hydra, they can't use it. You know, I, I liked how they did that. This was a story of vengeance, the oh, way I well, took it. It was very much the character's origin story. It was, it set the scene for the character exceptionally well. Oh, yeah. The tone, the style, the level of violence, and, and whatnot. The flashback, sometimes the flashback within the flashback, the breaking of the fourth wall within the breaking of the fourth wall. And they, they point some of that out and, and yeah. acknowledge that. But that, again, very much from the comics. Uh, the only thing, because- You caught the People magazine? I caught the People magazine. There was also the, the reference to Green Lantern in the opening yes. stuff. You caught the crack about uh, Ryan Reynolds, the okay actor. Okay actor, gets by on his looks. Yeah. yeah. They had a lot of those sorts of things in there, but- they brought in a lot of stuff from the comics. Uh, again, Bob, who was a, a sidekick for a long time. They brought in uh, Blind Alice, who he had at one point was the basically roommate. holding captive and would constantly rearrange the furniture and do other cruel things like that. I thought she, well, when I first saw her on screen, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm recognizing the actress. And you even offered to rewind for me if mm-hmm. I'd missed it. And at first I thought, I don't want to refer to it as a throwaway cameo, but I thought it was sort of like a Stan Lee cameo, that she would just be there for a moment and gone. No, she was a a major character in the comics and had a fair amount of visibility here. Well used. Yeah. And it showed that the the writers understood the history of the character, because the Blind Alice stuff was way back in the day, the 90s or whatever, early in the character, uh, when he had his own book, versus... Bob being uh, five, ten years ago, maybe, more okay. recent or whatever, and the more heroic aspect of the character now. Mm. But just showing, again, the, the sensibility of the character hasn't radically changed over the years. I'm enjoying the comic a lot more now than I was, say, during the Blind Alice days or some of that stuff. I think it's just a better book. But this captured, again, the history of it, the tone, the style. And I think that's part of why it really worked as a as a movie is they took some stuff that was just crazy and fun to to watch, you know, or read the comics, and they they visualized it exceedingly well mm-hmm. and knew where to to play up the comic book aspects, where to poke fun of the comic book aspects. I mean, they they were you know, what's the advantage of joining the X Men other than the matching unitards or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. How come I only see two guys? It's a big house, you know? I guess they can only afford to. Yes. Oh, we're going to go see Professor X. Which one? Yes. You know, Patrick Stewart or, or uh, James McAvoy. It's so confusing these days. Yes. You know, that kind of, of, again, breaking of the fourth wall and stuff makes for an incredibly fun film. Yeah. Even where, again, there's a lot of violence and stuff like that. But for me, 
I've got a, a low threshold for that kind of stuff. And there are a few, it's like, yeah, I'm not going to watch how he gets away from Colossus or whatever too closely. But they warned us. They warn us. And by and large, with very few exceptions, I would say that might be one of them. They never got gratuitous or gory, overly gory, or uh, uh, focused too much on it. They focused on that one, but they warned us well enough in advance that I could look away and miss it. Yeah. Basically, it was a graphic film that was about as friendly to the squeamish as is practical to be. Yeah. Because in the fight scenes, when people are getting heads lopped off, whatever, Mm -hmm. it's not like there's gushing blood and all of this stuff. It's like, yeah, he he lost his head. But it's not, let's zoom in and, and get all the gore. Yeah. Um, so you can kind of, again, to me, that's the almost cartoon level of it, yeah. of the violence or whatever, but realistically depicted, but without, again, focusing on it. And that, that was my, my big concern about the film is I know it's going to be funny. I, I knew it was going to get the, uh, the sensibility of the character, but are we going to see limbs hacked off left, right, and center and whatnot? Mm-hmm. I mean, when he goes up and fights Colossus the first time and busts his hands and whatnot. Yes. That's almost a Monty Python level of yes of humor. Now, the one scene in the movie that I saw the mistakes of the character coming and annoyed me to the point that I flout informed you, okay, at this point, the character's an idiot, is when they went to the strip club to oh, yeah. warn slash protect Vanessa. That was one that they could have basically had the other people get to the strip club a few minutes before them. Hey, you just missed him. Versus, yeah, versus. You know, but it, it played. It played fine. You know, my only real objection to that is I don't know that that's the scene I would have had Stanley cameo in. I felt kind of the same way. I, I'm trying to think what I would have had him cameo in. I almost would have had him being wheeled out of the uh, the place where Deadpool gets turned into Deadpool. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, be careful! You could turn out like that guy. You know, yeah, kind of a yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. It was a fun film. I mean, I had a lot of people at work, hey, have you gone to see it and stuff when it came out? I'm like, yeah, no, and here's why. And they got it. Mm-hmm. And they had warned me. There were, you know, decapitations, there's this, that, and stuff. But- Anyone who asked me if I've seen it, I got away with saying, is it really a Valentine's film? Yeah. <laughs> when they laughed and said no, they understood why. Well, Ryan Reynolds was in the Green Lantern film, and it was just not a good film. Yeah. And I don't know that I I don't think he was wrong for the film, but it was it was so off. When films need a combination, part of it is it is a very collaborative medium, but they need a combination of a good script, a good director, and good lead actors. This had that, and we're like we're Absolutely. looking at not just Ryan Reynolds when we say that, but also Moria Backlund. Yeah. Incredibly talented actress who was Vanessa. Mm-hmm. About the only thing I didn't like in that performance was the rate at which her hair grew. Mm, I can see. <laughs> well, there was a point where they were doing basically the romance over the course of the year or whatever. Yeah, her hair grew like three times as fast as it should have. But I got they were trying to show passage of time. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll forgive them. I get what they're going for. Um, The guy who played the friend in the bar... He to me he didn't really fit in in the bar the bartender and he seemed too young too geeky to be there yeah so but he did a good job with what he had yeah um I never really understood how Wade got the job uh to threaten the stalker that was the pizza boy I think this is where 
the former mercenaries and soldiers of fortune hung out and that there was somebody who was either owning the bar or whatever that gave them these kinds of jobs. I just wish- Because he gave the card back and got paid. Yeah, I just wish there'd been a little clarification on how that was going on. That would have been nice, having the Deadpool of who's going to kick the bucket first, and that's how he gets the name Deadpool. That Mm -hmm. worked. I liked that a lot. The evolution of the costume was fun. That was. The constant forgetting of the bag of ammo and and guns was was funny. Yeah. Um, I mean, they had, like you said, a really good cast, really good technical people. Both the director and the writers, were. everybody was on the same page. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think Ryan Reynolds had been really lobbying for this kind of a film for a while. And this is basically going to turn his career around after, you know, Green Lantern and stuff. Because the Green Lantern film had its moments, had some good moments and and whatnot. But there was an aspect of his portrayal, and maybe it was just his hairstyle or whatever, that I don't think it would have been too hard for, for, I think it's Daryl Hammond or whatever, to have done a really easy spoof of the character on Saturday Night Live. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, there's enough similarity. It's it's the green light bulb, or you know, whatever. yeah. Um, because they they took a really cool character and did a swing and a miss. Yeah, and it was funny because Jeff Johns was was involved in that, but here I didn't really recognize the writers or the director or any of the names uh, for a lot of it. But it's like they had really combed through the the history of the comics for the character, mm-hmm. took what worked, got the sensibility. And in fa- they were in the zone. Well, I liked when uh, they first got him to the place, the superhero factory, I want to call it. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're rolling him in and he's talking about, you know, look at how sanitary this place is. Another great scene for the sense of humor. And when Ajax is telling him, you know, your sense of humor won't survive this place. But we've already seen him later. So yes. we know it does. You know, and when we see him talking through the uh, curtains to the guy on the other side Mm -hmm. and stuff like that, I really enjoyed how they played the sense of humor in there. Well, they played the sense of humor and it also shows that there's a a bit of a sense of, I don't say loyalty, but friendship that he's a fairly likable guy. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and if, if, you know, you, I don't say do right by him, but you do okay by him even, he's got your back. Yeah. Same thing with the, the the cab driver. Yes. Yes. That cab driver was well used. And I think that goes to your earlier comment of there's a hero lurking within Deadpool. Mm-hmm. Waiting to come out. Yeah. And that's an aspect that when they came out of Secret Wars and Marvel and it's suddenly Deadpool is funding the Avengers and doing all this other stuff, I'm like, really? But they've they've taken that aspect of the character and made it play. It's not that he's not still a mercenary and doing some of these things. It's that he's trying to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's why I was saying, you know, there was the one person around whom he was never going to be capable of doing the right mm-hmm. thing. Because that guy committed the ultimate wrong against him. Well, it's funny because if you were to ask me what had to be in a Deadpool film in terms of plot, because mm-hmm. obviously they got the sensibility, the costume, all that perfect. Um, the couple of things that came to mind, most of them were kind of mentioned in the, the end credit scene. Mm. We're going to have Cable, don't know who's going to play it. It's going to be, you know, time traveling type stuff or whatever, because Cable's the son of Colossus from ah. the future kind of a deal. Okay. And a constant co-star in some of the, the Deadpool books. 
Matter of no. fact, they shared the title at one point. Nice. Um, and also, uh, Deadpool was created in New Mutants 98. It ended at 100. It became um, X-Force, and Cable was one of the leaders of that team for a while. So there's an aspect of the characters that is they've been kind of joined at the hip in many respects. Um, but the concept of a Deadpool 2 with, and I don't know who I would suggest casting as Cable, but if they could get the right guy as kind of the straight man for Deadpool. So you're opposed to Kira Knightley. Absolutely. <laughs> but if they if they get the right guy and then basically do a time travel film where they are basically, you know how like in the Scooby-Doo things, they're running through the hallways just to mm. have almost that level of stuff in the past X-Men franchise movies. Oh, nice. Yeah. I mean, imagine if... Uh, there was a Voyager episode where Seven of Nine is kind of drifting through the past of Voyager mm -hmm. and is showing up in different scenes. That kind of thing in X-Men First Class through the, the classic X-Men movie, the Wolverine movies, and that kind of a deal. Mm -hmm. And just, hey, this, this history is so confusing. Hey, wasn't this this way this second ago? Now it's this way. You know, whatever. It could be a ton of fun. Mm -hmm. And frankly, half of it they could do via a green screen kind of an approach if they needed to. Or CG, since to have the characters that way. Um, but bringing in Colossus, bringing in the origin, bringing in this Ajax character, none of that stuff that I felt, you know, from the comic was, ooh, you've got to have this. Mm -hmm. um, but I also can't imagine a better way to have done the first Deadpool film. You know, you've given him a really strong origin, a really good backstory, a relationship. He's more than just a guy with swords and a suit and a healing factor. I thought they gave him a very compelling origin. They gave a good motivation and they gave good examples of how the power worked. Yeah. You know, the regeneration and, yeah. and some of the stuff. I loved the bit when he's been knifed in the brain, sees the girlfriend, and you see the animated characters or whatnot. And again, very much like the comics. Yeah, that was fine. And where I think... A lot of comic book translations to film or movies fall down is when they either lose sight of what the core of the character and the property is, or simply have a different vision of that from what I and maybe the rest of the audience have. Yeah. That's where I think the Green Lantern film fell down. It's like there's a sense of awe and isn't this cool that was missing. Yeah. Well, so often people want to put their own fingerprints on something. As opposed to recapturing the magic that's always been there. Well, it's funny because when we watched the 2014 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle film, I felt the uh, people behind the film decided to, to really integrate April into the family of the turtles and did so very well. And it was a good addition to the, the, the franchise, the mythos. Mm -hmm. um, here with Deadpool, I would be hard pressed to name anything where I felt they kind of put their thumbprint firmly on it and i think this is kind of that that example of the invisible art there's some things that if you do it really well you're you're not seen having done it yeah which is impressive and there were obvious things about the writing of the credits and a few of the lines it the the writing again those guys they got it they they clearly took some credit for that as they should mm -hmm. um but it's not one of those, because there have been a few movies where the writer is so proud of their wordplay or something like that. Yeah. Where it's a little awkward. Yeah. Or a director that is so cinematic. Yeah. Or doing the shaky cam or, or so 
Well, stylized. We watched at least one movie where when the uh, director was sure that they'd lined up a shot that felt like a panel from a comic book, that they would linger on that shot for an extra few moments just to drive home the point. I'm trying to think which one that was. Yeah. 300? No, no. No. But I know... Uh, I don't what? recall precisely which one it was. I just Modern remember... Watchmen. Uh, there was one, though, where it was... And hold, it, it was um, the Ben Affleck Daredevil. Yes, I think you're right. Whereas here, there were a couple of things that the the I'm thinking specifically the main action sequence at the beginning got the twelve bullets. Some of you guys are going to have to share. And when he finally does the bit where he lines up the guys, yes, I'm like, you see it coming, and it's like, oh damn, that's sweet. He's got yes. the one bullet left. Three guys, and that was one. It's I don't need to see the heads go and pop. Yeah, exactly. But it was so obvious that was going to happen. Well, and it's one of those things where, on the one hand, it's just a wisecrack. On the other hand, it's eloquent foreshadowing. It There was a level of, I don't want to say pre-planning or whatever, because you can make the quip and then, oh, let's have it pay off this way. But of, of unity between the writing and the action. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. And the direction. Well, and the direction. Well, I was going to say, I don't know when the storyboards were done and how much may have been rewritten at that point or whatever, but it felt like there was a really good give and take between the script, the storyboards, the direction, Mm -hmm. and uh, a very unified vision. Yeah. Because pulling off an action sequence where there's actually that one moment to just freeze time and linger in there. Mm. I mean, we've seen- the Matrix films, the Lethal Weapon films, the Fast and the Furious films, tons of films with their car chases and shooting and all this stuff. Rarely is there that one moment where it's like, hey, you know, if we just froze here for about five minutes, we could actually fill the time and just look at what that second had. Yeah. So, obviously you build that in when you're doing the writing and stuff, but it shows a certain level of of, of thought, planning, and... uh. Again, that kind of that orchestration or whatever that, frankly, is missing in so many films. Yeah. You know, it was very well-crafted film. And it's, again, the fact that it did so well and not surprising. Everybody I know who saw it loved it. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, the only, only, I don't say downsides, but but, uh, caveats to that are, again, our rating, which it, it legitimately earns in a number of ways. I fully agree. Some some sexual scenes, certainly the violence and, and the language. Man, the language was profanity throughout. Um, and I loved how Colossus was calling him on that a few times. Yes. You know, they, they, they'd had a nice counterpoint with, you know, Colossus is the fish out of water in this world to a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, the other X-Men, uh, whose name I forget, I think she is based on like a Grant Morrison era X-Men, but I couldn't tell you which one. She had bizarre kind of energy powers and stuff. It was a cool character. Yeah. But there were one or two scenes with her where, like, she's texting and stuff. I didn't feel there was quite the payoff. And she texting? How's that going? I figured it felt like they were going for something, and then whatever it was got left on the cutting room floor. Like, there was a payoff. We just didn't get it. That's possible. There are deleted scenes and a gag reel and stuff, so I'm wondering. Yeah. 
what all, all is on there. Yeah. Obviously, we, we haven't watched well, that Well, and she throws the phone, and I think Deadpool caught it, but honestly, that went so fast with a, she throws the phone, and then it she- It seemed like he was going to catch it, but then when we cut to him right then, he didn't seem to have it. Yeah. Going back to my, I wonder if something ended up on the cutting room floor. Yeah, it could have been. He caught it, looked at it, ooh, she burned you, and- Yeah. Who knows? So, I liked her character, though. She was kind of fun up in that first uh, scene when they arrived on the bridge. Well, I also like how she's about half the size of, of Colossus. He gets his butt kicked and it's like, well, she'll step in now. Yeah. You know, there was some, some fun moments. Mm-hmm. Um, could they have brought in more X-Men? Yeah, but they didn't need to. It's not their film. Yeah. You know, I would like to see them build up kind of the larger franchise with the X-Men stuff. You've got Deadpool now as a a viable ongoing kind of a thing. Well, and they use these two to give Deadpool the room to mature to the point of he was willing to ask for help and recognize when he needed help. Yes. Well, and also firmly set it in the same universe. True. But, I mean, they could be doing New Mutants films. They could be doing... X Factor, and there are a couple of different eras of X Factor. I would suggest the Private Eye version. Mm. Imagine mutant private eyes and stuff. So there's there's a definite appetite these days, I think, for the superhero films, for the the shared universe yeah. in films, um, and they're starting to do that with the X Men stuff now. Nice. I mean, they, they they had Wolverine, but that was just a spinoff. Yeah. This again is is more of a. Uh, I don't say from the outside bringing in, but you know what I mean. Yeah. So uh, at some point I may go through the extra features on this. No rush on that. Um, If they, not if, when they do the next film, because I think that was a foregone conclusion, I really hope that the creative team sticks together. Me too. Same writer, same director, uh, obviously same lead. And again, if they could do, if they can bring Cable in and capture that, era of uh of deadpool Mm -hmm. um that could be just a ton of fun yeah and and, you know i would play it up again as as, uh, cable is almost deadpool's keeper as much as anything else he's bringing out the hero but he's also just completely exasperated by this guy yeah in other words play a very similar role to what colossus was playing here yeah makes sense so yeah fun film um not surprised it did as well as it did. Again, there were a couple of things where I really appreciated a little bit of the telegraphing of the the violence and stuff. Yeah. It was not in a bad way, but in enough of a, you know, okay, I, I don't need to see this. I know it's coming. Yeah. Because I always hate TV shows where they come back to a commercial break in the middle of a gory autopsy or something like that. I don't need to see that. Yeah. But, you know, other people, it doesn't bother at all. So, you know, they, uh, I think this movie really opened up what can be done in uh, in superhero films. Well, and in some respects, it may have broadened the definition of hero to some people. Well, it certainly broadened the franchise. Yeah. I mean, to me, this is similar to, say, Die Hard, whereas I thought Die Hard really took the action film and, and almost carved a new little niche of it, mm-hmm. you know, that has since been done to death or whatever. This is taking the superhero thing and saying, but you could do this, too. Yeah. And I think that's good because the superhero genre is getting uh, a lot of films, a lot of TV shows and stuff. And while I, I love that, 
there's the risk of burnout if it's too focused of a of a genre. Agreed. And dealing with uh, somebody who could arguably be as much of a villain as a hero or whatever flips the moral compass quite a bit. Yeah. And then playing it straight but having a heck of a lot of fun and poking fun at it, um, I think fits a modern sensibility very well and opens an audience pretty wide. Yeah. So, anything else? I think that does it. Cool. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.